It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. We are continuing to find joy in this great journey of life. This is part three in a series that Pastor Rick is bringing us in the book of Philippians, and today he's looking at chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. In a sermon he's entitled, Bad Weather Believers. Here's Rick. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn, if you would, to Philippians 1 as we continue our study in this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. If you don't have a Bible with you um, or not are, are not accustomed to maybe opening up a Bible, there should be a Bible in front of you in the chair pocket. Please grab it. Um, as with most books, there's a table of contents, and under the New Testament set of books, you will find the book of Philippians, and so we invite you to grab a Bible, turn there if you would, and this morning we're going to be looking at Philippians 1, starting at verse 12 to the end of the chapter, verse 30. As most of you know, to the, on the other side of the mountains, just to the east of us, is a very dry and desolate area called the Sonoran Desert. And if you keep going east, over the Colorado River, you will come to an area of the Sonoran Desert where frozen in almost a worship-like posture are a group of cactus with raised-up arms called the saguaro cactus. Amazing that these saguaro cactus can reach over heights of 15 feet and yet they grow in an environment where the average rainfall is, is usually less than 7 inches a year. But they thrive in that extreme heat and dry conditions. Now, it's fascinating that if you gave the saguaro cactus the same amount of water and shade that a non-indigenous plant to the desert would need to survive, it would kill them. God made them to thrive best under adverse conditions. And they can die if their environment is too accommodating. Such has been the case for the church throughout its history. From its earliest origins under the Roman Empire to now its most recent experience under the harshness of communism or radical Islam, when there has been hostility against believers, when believers are persecuted, when governments threaten, that's when the church actually thrives. But in our history, we have seen that when the church is given favor, when it's had it easy, that's when it's lost its growth, when it's lost its purity, when it's lost its impact on the society in which it lives. So like the saguaro cactus, it, it looks like the church actually does best under adversity, not under well-watered conditions. <laughs> what a profound lesson, though. And yet, what, what, what a... A lesson is so hard to want to accept. Because when conditions are tough for us, how many of us oftentimes look at heaven and ask the question, what's with this God? When people hate us, when we suffer for, for Christ's sake, when we experience pain because of our faith, we're tempted to doubt what? That God cares. And then we're easily tempted to want to try to figure our own way out of what we're now in. So it's, in, it's so easy myself included, to embrace the deceptive concept that Christians should not have problems. Or to put it another way, 
believers should not struggle in life. Or at least I don't want to have to struggle in life. (laughs) Maybe I'm a strange breed. Probably am. But I've always thought it peculiar that when the weather outside turns even slightly nasty or inconvenient, the media tells us all to go hide inside. I mean, what's wrong with a little bad weather? Um, a little bit of snow is not going to hurt us. A little bit of rain is not going to melt us. A little bit of wind is not going to blow our brains out. I mean, come on. To me, when the weather turns blustery, I actually think that's a great day to walk on the beach. When there's a snowstorm, I love go hiking in the mountains at that time. But watch, as dark clouds build, people tend to scatter and hide. So where are the bad weather believers? Where are the followers of Christ who won't hide when circumstances create turbulence in our lives, when we won't disappear when the going gets rough, that they don't shake their fist at heaven when they are inconvenienced? Where are the bad weather believers? Well, Philippians 1 tells us that Paul was one of them. We know that as he wrote this letter to that church, he has been a guest of the Roman Empire's prison system now for four years. And justice for Paul has not just been moving slowly. At times it seems to be moving in the opposite direction. His freedom of movement is very restricted. He is guarded constantly. He's not in an easy situation because soon he is going to face Caesar and have to defend his faith. And that decision by Caesar is going to be binding. It's either going to be death or it's going to be freedom for him. So can you imagine his physical discomfort? Can you imagine the mental pressure that he is under? Can you imagine how deeply he feels alone? And yet, as Paul pins these words to the church at Philippi, we don't pick up anything that he's bitter or that he's resentful about his circumstances. Rather, it's the very opposite. How does he maintain the sense of authentic joy and composure in the middle of his bad weather? Well, we're going to find out this morning. Again, go to Philippians 1, 12 to 30. That's where we're going to be this morning. And notice how Paul reveals how each of us can join him in learning how to be a bad weather believer. He's going to show us how we can have this profound sense of joy even when the storm clouds dump on us. But it's going to take a radical perspective change in three areas. Watch how he gives them one after another to us. First, radical change of perspective is in verse 12 to verse 18. Like Paul, in every circumstance, make Christ the issue. Look at verse 12. He writes to us, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Okay, you see how radical this is? Paul doesn't care what people think about him. It only matters what they think about Jesus. (laughs) So when Christ is kept as the issue the gospel in any generation then will advance. 
Again, remember the context. Paul is under guard 24 hours a day. Being in that position, though, the guards hear all of his words and have been watching his life. They came to realize he is not there because he is a criminal. He's in jail because of his belief and commitment to Jesus Christ. Again, look at verse 13, the start of it. It has become known, at least that's what is in the English Standard Version, Literally, that phrase, it has become known, literally means it's become apparent, it has become clear. So Paul's imprisonment has served to take the gospel into the highest reaches of, of Roman government. So people are hearing about this Jesus who, would, who he, Paul, would never have had access to in any other way. So I'm sitting at the corner of bakery out on 79 South this week looking at this passage and studying it. And all of a sudden, a a challenging thought comes to my mind. So if it comes to my mind, I'm going to let it drop into your minds. If someone was constantly guarding you 24-7 for several years, what what would become apparent to them about you, about me? Would they come to realize that Jesus Christ is the central focus of our life? It's true at the moment, here in our country anyway, not true in other countries, but in our country anyway, that the followers of Jesus are not being jailed for false charges. That may come. But what we're seeing now in our culture is that they are trying to define Christianity by what we are against rather than what we are for. They don't want Jesus to be the issue. Rather, they want the issue to be their opinion of of what they say is our intolerance and our hatred. Is that fair? No. Are those charges skewed in misrepresentations of the gospel and in the truth of the gospel? Absolutely. But it's the very same tactics they used against Paul, and they even used that against Jesus. Folks, we're in good company when that happens. And so what's our response when that happens? Well, whatever happens to us, make sure others see that Christ is the issue that the gospel advance. Um, we'll be back, but turn, if you would, back to 1 Peter. Look at chapter 3 and verse 13. Peter says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, as we keep Christ the issue in every circumstance and under all conditions, something else is going to happen back to Philippians. And that is when Christ is kept as the issue, some become wonderfully audacious. <laughs> Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, 
are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in other words, these other believers in Rome saw and heard Paul keeping Christ the issue while imprisoned. And so they began to think, well, gosh, if he can do it in there, then certainly I can do it out here where it's the weather's better. See, if we can live calmly and boldly for Christ under the pressure of bad weather, it will encourage other believers that are watching us, I can do it too. Even though I'm not going through the harsh things they are, I can do it too. But that's not the way everybody's going to respond. So Paul warns us that when Christ is kept at the issue, others become weirdly ambitious. Notice the reaction that some believers have to Paul's imprisonment. Look at verse 15. Now, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. See, there's that ambitiousness, the weird ambitiousness. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So notice again the motivations going on here. Some are described as preaching the gospel from goodwill, love. They're trying to be of help. The the motivation of others is described as envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. They're trying to hurt him. As strange as it may seem, some Christians, some Christ followers around us might actually use our struggles to hurt us and exalt themselves as if they feel like they're in competition with us. Well, what do we do in that situation? Look at verse 18. How does it start? Two words. Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In other words, don't take it personally. What's the important thing here? That Christ is being promoted. Others are having having the opportunity to hear the good news and accept the gift of God. See, I told you this was radical stuff. Paul wants us to see that as he had to do, no matter what happens, we're to view our bad weather circumstances as an opportunity to make Christ the issue. And who knows? Folks, who knows what unheard of access the gospel will get through you. Now he turns to the second radical change of perspective that will allow us to be bad weather believers. And he noticed starting in verse 18, he mentions that in every circumstance, make much of Christ. Not only are we to make Christ the issue, but make much of Christ. Again, it's radical, it's supernatural, that in the middle of our our difficult circumstances, we're to be committed to exalting him, but that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Look at the end of verse 18. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. See, the choice we face is either I'm going to exalt Christ or I'm going to protect myself. 
And again, in verse 20, Paul was concerned by the potential of being ashamed. In other words, he didn't want to back down under pressure. He didn't want to have to compromise. He wanted to be able to stand up for Jesus Christ. And that's why he also mentions courage. It's going to take courage to exalt Christ when the weather of our circumstances turns nasty. Because like Paul, there may come a day when the issue literally is life or death. Now, right now, the outcome for us is typically not that extreme. But it can be painful. It can be painful to make the decision, I'm going to make much of Christ and glorify Him. And when you do, you suffer the loss of that job. Or you don't get the pay raise. Or that boyfriend or that girlfriend decides to break up with you. Or you're shut out of a circle of friends. But regardless of the severity of consequences, Paul points out that the basis for exalting Christ is literally our commitment to him. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, we'll not seek to glorify. We'll not seek to exalt Jesus Christ and make much of him in our lives, especially in the middle of our difficulties if we're more committed to ourselves than we are to Him. The level of our commitment is that life itself, verse 21, is completely wrapped up in Christ, but then even death is going to be gained for me. Because of our assurance that this new life that we have been given in Jesus Christ that began at the moment of our salvation will continue on even past the grave. And yet, surprisingly, or maybe it shouldn't be surprising, Some people actually use Christ as just another means for finding a level of satisfaction and enjoyment in life. And so when problems come up or when the storm clouds of circumstances move, their faith just kind of evaporates. It just disappears. They're fair-weather believers. And exalting Christ, regardless of their circumstances, just does not even enter their minds. And yet as radical as that commitment is to making much of Jesus, at least as it appears to be radical, notice starting in verse 22, this commitment actually dispenses freedom. Look at verse 22. So Paul says, watch how, he, watch how he's telling us how his mind's processing, that, processing all of this. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Huh. Isn't that interesting? When Christ is everything to us, then we will have at the same time a competing desire for both life and death. That is normal for us, as it was normal for Paul. On the one hand, life will be seen as a means for continuing fruitful labor for our Savior because we get to be part of seeing the gospel advance in our generation. On the other hand, death is seen as a release from all the struggles of life and an opportunity to be with the Lord. And we live with those competing desires at the same time. But when making much of Christ is our primary goal, 
We experience then a freedom even though we have those competing desires because it releases us from hanging on to life and it also releases us from having a fear of death. We're free even in the middle of the bad weather circumstances of our lives to serve others so they can grow in Christ or to joyfully go and be with our Savior. I mean, look at verse 25 and verse 26. So Paul says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Bad weather believers can have incredible joy because in every circumstance they have the radical perspective of, first of all, making Christ the issue and secondly, making much of Christ. Well, I told you there were three, so here's the third radical perspective, and that is in every circumstance, make sure I'm living appropriately for Christ. That starts at verse 27. Now, notice in verse 27 how Paul now turns from what's happening to him to what's happening to the readers. He's addressing the importance of having consistency between what we say we believe and yet what others see in our behavior. They're to be the same. They're to be consistent. So Paul says, regardless of the weather Our behavior should reflect what Christ has done for us. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, there's a couple of words here that Paul uses that are really important to understand, or you can get a little skewed thinking here, just a little bit of skewed thinking. First of all, he says, he's talking about your manner of life. And he's using a a word that describes how citizens or patriots act in their country. Now again, remember the people of Philippi on our very first Sunday in talking about all of this, they were living as citizens in a free Roman colony. So they would understand very much this this concept of rights and responsibilities of citizens that you live according to, to all of that. But look at the other word he uses here. He also uses the word worthy. That does not mean we must measure up. That's not what the way he's using that word. Rather, the word describes behavior that's appropriate, consistent, or fitting. So, let's wrap this together. As followers of Jesus Christ, our true identity is that of citizens, but not citizens of this country, but as we'll see when we come to chapter 3 and verse 20, we're citizens of heaven And because of that, our behavior is to be consistent with, according to verse 27, the gospel that we say we believe in and that we're living by. And like Paul, we're going to have those people around us that have not bought into what we've bought in with the gospel, and they're going to be watching us go through bad weather. So what do they observe about us when the pressure of circumstances grows in our lives? Do we compromise? Do we justify our actions just like everybody else does? Even though I'm an interim pastor and um, have the opportunity and privilege to be in a number of different churches, uh, I still get to speak to a number of people who 
haven't trusted Christ yet, but they're interested. And we discuss their questions about their about the, what the Bible says or about the claims of Jesus Christ. But it's interesting that one of the most consistent things that they find to be the biggest problem in putting their faith in Christ is the inconsistency they see in those who call themselves Christ followers. What they want to know is this. This is really how they ask it. If what Christ can do is so real and so transforming, then how come they live like that? I don't want to offend, but can I ask you, let me, let me ask you a favor? If following Christ is not really your highest priority, if you're really not willing to, to get into the battle and fight to say no to sin, if pleasing yourself is really much more important to you than pleasing Christ, then please don't tell other people that you're a follower of Jesus. Don't. Take the fish symbol off the back of your car. If you've got an old WWJD bracelet, throw it away. Do not wear a cross-shaped lapel pin. Now, don't misunderstand me here. We do not have to be perfect. That's not the issue. But if we're frivolous about our behavior being consistent and an appropriate reflection of the gospel we claim to believe, then we're doing Incredible damage to the reputation of our Savior. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. So he highlights that when circumstances put us under pressure to be mindful of three particular behaviors. Watch where he takes us now. These three behaviors will help us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here they are. First of all, verse 27, stand firm in one Spirit. That idea of standing firm pictures a soldier who will not budge, will not leave his assigned post or his assigned duty. He'll die if he has to, but he's staying. And those who watch us should be able to see a tenacious spirit that refuses to flee or compromise or cave in when problems arise. Like a soldier, we hold our ground, we will not desert our posts. But like me, you've probably seen when troubles hit, believers quit praying. They quit reading their Bible. They stop going to church. They stop serving in Sunday school or leading their small group. But to stand firm means to hold on to the hope that we've been given. We don't know how God is going to show up, and we don't know when he's going to show up, but we're still waiting for him. That's standing firm. So when what happens isn't pleasant to us, stand firm. Second area, notice what Paul mentions, the end of verse 27. We're to be mindful of striving side by side. That striving side by side phrase literally means we're working together. So when the bad weather of circumstances hits, those who are outside watching us, believers, they should see us pulling together when the pressure's on rather than pulling apart. They should see us coming to each other's aid. Paul's talking about being a team. It's part of being a spiritual family who's committed to each other through thick, through thin. So we stand firm. We strive together, work together. Third area, not frightened by the opposition. Verse 28, 
And do not be frightened by anything by your opponents, because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of the gospel, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Notice, Paul gives us two reasons why we shouldn't be afraid when times get tough. First of all, our lack of fear is a sign to those fighting us that they're actually the ones that are going to be judged by God. We're not the ones being judged. David picks up on this in Psalm 118, verse 5, when he says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord. He answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look on in triumph on my enemies. Do not be frightened by the opposition. Second reason we're not to be frightened is not just because we have a lack of fear and it's a sign to those around us, but secondly, notice that opposition is a reality for believers. Notice he said it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him but suffer for his sake. In other words, suffering was a reality for Christ. It was a reality for Paul. Paul's saying it's going to be a reality for us. 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Um, let, let Jesus talk to us about this. Turn back to John 15 for real quickly. If Paul's words or Peter's words aren't enough, let's just go back to our our master's comments. John 15, verse 20. He tells us, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So I admit, it's radical. But when life pounds us, instead of throwing for us a parade, the Lord can give us the supernatural ability to have consistency between our beliefs and our behaviors. We don't have to be perfect. We can, we can confess the inconsistency. We can be allowing God to work on it and admit it. But is there consistency there? A man, a really wise man, once wrote, As you live the Christian life, you will have periods of darkness and doubt. You will encounter painful struggle and discouragement. But there will also be moments of exaltation and glory. And most of all, you will become free. Where are the bad weather believers? I believe they're right here in this room. I really do. And you can spot them for, despite their tough circumstances, they've learned to make Christ the issue. Despite their tough circumstances, to make much of Christ. And even in their tough circumstances, that they're making sure that they're living appropriately for Christ. Father, you know that that is so much where I want my life to be. I just stand in amazement at the Apostle Paul, 
who had such incredible joy under such bad weather. Father, forgive me. You know how so easily I begin to whine. Or I get fearful. Or I withdraw. I mean, I do, I do all kinds of things to try to cope. Instead of doing what Paul told us to do in this wonderful letter. Father, I pray you'd change my heart. And Father, I do not want to in any way belittle or diminish the painful circumstances that are going on in so many in this body. It's brutal for many. And if I was in their situation, I'd probably wonder too, if you care. And I would ask that today you would encourage them with the hope that it's worth hanging in there for your sake. Bring from your word, bring from the word of another believer the encouragement that their heart desperately needs today. Father, may we be that body that pulls together to support one another to encourage one another as long as it is called today and fight the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Maybe we're going through good weather right now. Or maybe the storm clouds are gathering or maybe we are getting dumped on. Regardless, the word of God is true. And would you give us the faith to follow where Paul went and to learn how to be bad weather believers. Because the advancement of the gospel depends on it. Oh, Father, give us those radical perspectives, I pray, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.